if I could try to simplify that, the way to, is that our culture today is so fearful. Right. More so mm-hmm. than probably maybe any time in our country's history is because we've drifted away mm-hmm. from basically our foundation. Right. Um, I use this very simple illustration. Uh, you know, God uses a number of metaphors to describe our relationship with him. One of the simplest is that he is the shepherd and basically we're his sheep. Right. And the shepherd's role is to basically lead, guide, protect mm-hmm. the sheep. The sheep, all they have to do is stay close to the shepherd and listen right. to his voice. Mm-hmm. And when, you know, a, a sheep, when they encounter a wild animal or yeah. a thief or a ditch or something... If the shepherds, if they're right there next to the shepherd, they can rest in his care. If not, they go astray, and then that's when they end up in the ditch. Welcome to Freeman Theory. Uh, This is Cartwright Morris, your host. And that was Richard Simmons responding to my question about um, fear and how he responds to fear in his life. Richard is my interview today. We'll be talking about um, pursuing your life calling. Uh, Richard is the director of the Center for Executive Leadership. Um, he's a speaker and author, but I look forward to you learning and receiving from his story um, and the impact that his relationship with God had on him and how it led to his his decisions and his pursuit to impact people. So if you'd like to have more information about the Center for Executive Leadership, go to thecenterbham.org. Now, here's the interview I had with Richard. Enjoy. Thanks for being here. Um, my first kind of real question is: is what's um, I think many people want to know? What, 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 growing up, what were your influences? What was the kind of the big, from a spiritual standpoint, um, even education, maybe people and places that were some of your biggest influences? Clearly, uh, my dad was the uh, biggest influence uh, in my life. I was. <clears throat> Very blessed to have just a, a wonderful, loving father who um, was very involved in my life um, and was basically was a great model of, I think, of what a man is, is really supposed to be. And probably one of the most significant uh, events, clearly, in my earlier years was that when I was 11 years old, my mother died. Mm. And she had spent two years in the hospital uh, battling cancer and coming in and out of the hospital. And uh, so I didn't see as much of her as, you know, I had seen her growing up. Mm. So I was with my dad a lot more. Mm. And I, I got to watch him go through this. Even though, to be quite honest, I didn't know she was dying. He never; they never really told us that you know your mother's mm-hmm. not going to make it. But he knew, and you know, just looking back, just watching him uh, live his life, and that's really when his faith just took off. I mean, mm-hmm. it didn't diminish then. He wasn't angry at God. It yeah. did. It, it really drew him closer. And um, even though I, you know I was not a Christian at the time, I could see that God had made a real difference in my dad's life. And I could see that um, you really can be a man and a Christian yeah. at the same time, <laughs> a real man. Yeah. And so that was a huge influence on me. And, um, you know, I, I had some good friends, um, but no one really 
had the, a positive influence on me like my father. The church really didn't. And uh, um, and so it was like I told somebody just today when I look back, we were talking about the breakdown of the family and how so many young people growing up today don't have fathers. And yeah. I said, you know, I, I look back at my life and you know, here at the age of 64, I can truly say the two biggest influences on my life have been two different men. Yeah. My dad and Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Um, specifically, do you remember seeing a transition in just his lifestyle and behavior being drawn close to the Lord? Like, was he reading the Bible more? Was he kinder? What you know, I, I think so. Yeah, uh, yeah he was. He, he you know, I remember he had a Bible in his room by his bedside table. Um, he, um, But he really was, it was kind of funny uh, to watch him really evangelize his kids trying to tell oh. us you know about our need for christ and mm-hmm. and what we needed to do and uh he wasn't well experienced at it because he was fairly i think he was fairly new in his faith um um you know when he and my mom back he and my mother came to christ in the midst of her cancer wow yeah and a woman by the name of elizabeth newbold who's very famous mm-hmm. around here in the yeah. uh in the older crowd know her mm-hmm. and uh and then I just watched my dad, uh, it have an impact on my dad, and then he wanted the same thing for us, even though, you know, I was 10 years old. Yeah. And so, yeah, I did I did see a change in his life, very clearly. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, all, from that point all the way until he died at the age of 80, you know, he never wavered. He was very, very strong in his faith, and mm-hmm. um, he, uh, <laughs> one of the things I remember is that he and I had lunch one day, and he was in his late seventies. And he told me then, he says, "You know, at my funeral, I want you to, uh, I want you to give the eulogy." He said that to me. And I said, well, "What do you want me to tell him?" He said, "You know, share the gospel with him." Wow. So, yeah. So he he never he never wavered, and he was very consistent in his faith, and mm-hmm. uh, just a huge influence on uh, on me and and my siblings. And yeah. um, as I tell people often he was my hero yeah and I uh, even though he's been gone nine years now hmm. I think about him all the time yeah so what uh, so when did you become a Christian so what what happened to that yeah you said he evangelized to you did he? well <laughs> interesting my, yeah. my story you know now at the age yeah. that I am I can really look back on my spiritual mm-hmm. journey and can see it very mm-hmm. clearly now right um when my mother was going through uh, this illness, mm-hmm. uh, we went to this, it was a kind of a Bible yeah. club for kids, and that was really the first time I understood the gospel. Right. I, uh, somewhat. And then my dad mm-hmm. also took me to, I remember the mayor's, I can remember this so vividly, at the mayor's prayer mm-hmm. breakfast at Batwell Auditorium. And I was probably 10, maybe 11. Mm-hmm. It was before, maybe, I don't know, maybe it was right after she died. I don't, mm-hmm. And this, 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 person from the military speaking and I'll never forget him talking about um, that here's God reaching down to us and here we are reaching down to him and there's this separation and Mm -hmm. Jesus came and and, and I can still see that and so I I understood that right Um, then I went you know as I grew up in my teenage years um, I you know I was pretty godless I understood mm-hmm. the message I understood the gospel but I was God Jesus played no part in my life mm-hmm. and then I'll, I'll never forget um, 
I went to a Young Life meeting. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the guy that gave the message this night, particular night, was not a gifted speaker at all. Huh. He, uh, in fact, he read his message out of a little book, and it was on the evidence of the resurrection. Interesting. And it's interesting, this man died a couple years ago, and I told both of his sons yeah. uh, that your dad, his simple little message, <laughs> had an impact on me. I can remember it yeah. vividly. Mm-hmm. And, and though he, you know, he kind of stumbled mm-hmm. through the message, I remember leaving that night thinking, you know, this is true. Yeah. This wow. is really true. Mm-hmm. And then that was my junior year in high school. My senior year in high school, I heard a guy by the name of Walter Gresham right around Easter give a, a cross talk. He talked yeah. about what Jesus did at the cross. Mm-hmm. And then I went off to college. Right. And I had a great, I was, everything was going great in college. Until my sophomore year, and I began to realize there's a real emptiness in my life. And, you know, I couldn't put my finger on what is is the problem here. So you've heard it all. I heard it. I understood it. (laughs) And so then I thought, and this was my, 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 uh, Mm -hmm. the fall of my sophomore year, I remember him for a party. And I remember I was just so unhappy. Hmm. I just, and I remember thinking it was almost like, it was almost like a voice spoke to me and said, you know, is this what life's really all about? Right. Yeah. And, um, on paper it looked, everything should, you should be happy. I should have, I had the the great, (laughs) just the great life of a college Mm -hmm. student. Mm -hmm. And then in the, uh, and so I, I I did, I started Mm -hmm. back at school, I started reading, um, the Bible. I started reading, uh, there was a Christian book that I read. And my roommate was eyeing me, looking at me like, what's what's going on here? <laughs> this had never happened before. Yeah. And where I went to college, they had three what they call party weekends. Mm-hmm. And it, it, this was the midwinter one. And my roommate had a motorcycle wreck. Right. And just messed his knee up his, and messed his life up yeah. uh, at the time. And... Um, through that experience, I realized that because I, I got to a point where this is what I understood. Mm-hmm. All right, I understood um, that to truly be a Christian requires faith and repentance. And I didn't know that word repentance, but mm-hmm. surrender. Right. And I didn't want to surrender. That was my problem. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But through the ac- accident, through a number of other circumstances, mm-hmm. wow. And I happened to be down in Daytona Beach, Florida. It was the spring of March of 1974. Mm. So that's 44 years ago. We're here in March today. Yeah. Um, I got on my knees and I surrendered as best I knew how. And God really took a hold of my life. Wow. And, um, you know, I... it's never been the same. Do you remember any specific words you said when you were on your knees? Do you remember, or just, just you said, I mean, best you knew yeah, how. Yeah, best I knew how, yeah. yeah. And, 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 I, and I, let me tell you this, I, I felt like, kind of like C.S. Lewis. Yeah. If you read the C.S. Lewis, he says, I came kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's what I did. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and my, my mindset, my attitude was, I know I'm going to probably be miserable 
going forward. But you know what? I know this is this is will fill yeah. that emptiness. Wow. And I believe that. Mm. But I, I felt like the, the Christian life was going to be kind of lousy. Huh. Today's episode is brought to you by Thrive Marriage Lab. If you want your marriage to thrive, this is a great opportunity to use. The strong marriages are the bedrock of strong churches, organizations, families, and communities. This is a 12-month pathway for any of you that are looking to really have weekly engagement with experienced marriage counselors. Not just one, but many. So go to restory.life backslash thrive to get on the waiting list for this great program that starts in April. That's restory.life backslash thrive. And make sure you put the word forge in the promo code to receive a discount on your monthly fee. Now, back to the episode. Interesting. Let me pause the interview real quick. And uh, just say how um, I am a little regretful about um, not asking him to unpack more of that phrase that he thought the Christian life would be lousy. Um, not that there was anything wrong with that. I just think that there's many things that uh, we can relate to because I think a lot of us had that same assumption. Um, but I had to get deep into the interview and actually talk about why why I was interviewing him. And that was to talk about pursuing our life calling. So hope you enjoy the rest of the interview. So uh, a little fast forward is um, I think many people don't realize that even before you started the center, you were already teaching and leading Bible studies, and you're writing books, or yeah. writing at least. Yeah. So yeah, well, well, yeah can I explain a little bit of that? What, what made you start well, teaching? Well, when I was in yeah. college, um, yeah. my senior year, a good buddy of mine, and I, mm-hmm. who, was also, who had also become a Christian about the same time I did, we decided to embark on teaching a Bible study, though we had no idea what we were doing. And um, as we did it, I found, I, I, I can still, I can remember this, one of the times I was speaking, and I felt just this real sense of, of confidence and power. And I thought, I don't know where this is coming from, but it made me realize, I feel like that I can teach. I can do, this is something that I, I might mm-hmm. be gifted at doing. Yeah. And which out of college led me into uh, uh, it's a whole other story but we don't have time for it <laughs> into working with Young Life as a volunteer mm-hmm. which was very significant because it gave me a real mission mindedness or mm-hmm. ministry mindedness of yeah. uh, you know I don't want to just live for myself mm-hmm. and spend my life on myself I want to invest in others mm-hmm. and that, that, that had a huge impact on me and I went from I did that for six years and then I uh, um, I just started. Te- I, I had several men that I just began a Bible. Study. I taught a, one year. I taught a uh, a Bible study down in Tuscaloosa at a paternity house, and um, and then as a, I was you know in business, and over time the, the little Bible studies I had grew to where I had two groups. We one met on Wednesday, one met on Thursday, and there were about fifteen men in each group. Okay. And I was doing some speaking, and mm-hmm. then I, I did write my, my first book. Okay, so what led to the decision of this is no longer a part-time thing, that this is, you know, my calling in a yeah. sense? Would you say it's, yeah. this is your calling? Oh, yeah. no, no yeah. doubt, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. Well, first of all, it was pretty easy to pull this off of, of teaching mm-hmm. and speaking and even writing. Yeah. Until I was 41, because I was single. Yeah, right. And so I could do my job, I could do my work, mm-hmm. do my career, 
but also had time to teach and speak and write. Right. And then at the age of 41, I got married. Right. And one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. Anyway, you don't want to hear about that. (laughs) Anyway, um, and so because of the fact that I was 41, Mm -hmm. you know, my wife Holly and I felt like we needed to go ahead and start a family soon mm-hmm. just because of my age. She says, you know, I want you to be around for them to graduate and get married and everything. I said, you're right. So we had, we had three children about as fast as you could, and, um, uh, which has just been great. But um, my job, I, took on, I was taking on more and more job responsibilities. I was traveling more. I was away from home more. Mm. Uh, I, couldn't, I wasn't teaching as much. And... Being a husband, a father, um, an executive, mm-hmm. and a teacher, speaker, writer, they I couldn't fit it all in. Yeah, right, yeah. And so, and I, I was getting, I, I was really was not enjoying my work as much because even though I'd kind of moved up in the right. organization, I was traveling more, and I, I got to the point I really wasn't enjoying my work. And I felt like God had given me a vision of what this men's ministry would look like. Right. And it was just a matter of me pulling the trigger and, and, and doing it. Because I had the foundation. I had 30 men that would, you know, to, to start mm-hmm. this. And I wanted it to be an outreach. Well, you know how the ministry works. Yeah. Where we have a big, we have several big events that we use mm-hmm. as outreaches. And then to uh, disciple men. And, you know, as it's turned out, to counsel them. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. cover a multitude of needs in a man's life. Right. And so I got to a point where... Uh, the hardest thing was explaining to my father what I was going to do. He thought I'd lost my mind. Because you were working with him, right? He, well, he, yeah. had, he had pretty much retired. Okay. But he knew what was good. Anyway, and I had three young children, and he says, you're yeah. going to do what? <laughs> he was worried about the financial end. Right. And then, um, and then I needed my life blessing. And I, mm-hmm. I remember we went to the beach, just the two of us, to celebrate our anniversary. And on the way back, she was driving, and I had a notebook with all my notes of, of, of what I'd been thinking and what God had been saying to me. And I just shared it all with her. Yeah. And, and her, I'll never forget, she said, well, when we get back to Birmingham, you need to call the home office and basically yeah. tell the CEO of the holding company that you're resigning. And I said, now hold on, I'm not quite ready. The timing's not yet quite ready. And But that was in June, mm-hmm. and I basically retired from my, my job Officially, mm-hmm. I was the CEO of, of our the Southeast region yeah. of our company, and I retired from that mm-hmm. that January, but then stayed on two years as a consultant. They were great to me. They let oh, me stay wow. on as a consultant yeah. while the ministry was starting. So in the mm-hmm. morning, I had an office you know, over in Office Park mm-hmm. where the center started, and then in the afternoons, I'd go work downtown. Okay. And I did that for two years before finally just... And I, I have a, we have a great board, as you know. Right. And they said... You need to, you need to quit the consulting. You need to do this full time because the ministry was just booming. It was yeah. It was really booming, mm-hmm. and so I did, and I've been full time now. I guess for mm-hmm. 15, 16 years. So you mentioned Holly, with, um, your wife being one of the catalysts to get that release. Really, who was some of the other people that really were encouraging you, and what was some of the things they said to really kind of push you to make that decision? Um, <clears throat> well, a couple of the, of the men who really understood. And, and, and it's, it, you didn't know this. We had started already having these breakfasts, even though I was still working. Right. All right. Good. <laughs> and, they, and, and, and my board started seeing 
this is God is really using mm-hmm. this. This is this this could be something that that is significant. Mm-hmm. Could really make an impact on Birmingham, mm-hmm. or at least our community here. Mm-hmm. And um, and so they um, uh, Gary Ard, Tommy Brigham, um, mm-hmm. two of our been board members since we started. Uh, and not only did they encourage me to do it, they stepped up. A number of them stepped up and said, "We we, we will support you financially. We will wow. we will step up and make sure." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, we can help you cover the expenses of, of the center. And mm-hmm. so the, having that was, was, I think, helpful, and I think encouragement to my wife as well. Yeah. Um, so what was some of the... So you said it, it really exploded in the first two years. Um, was there moments where you didn't feel like this, where you had a, kind of had a question whether it was going to work, and what kind never. of kept you... Never. Really? Never. never. What, what made you have such confidence that it was... That, well, I think from day one, and, and we didn't, you know, mm-hmm. our growth was not necessarily explosive, I mean, yeah. you know, like, uh, uh, but it was this very steady mm-hmm. growth, and I had more and more men that I was taking through the investigative study that seemed become Christians, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the outreach breakfasts that we had, you mm-hmm. know, went from 60 to 100 to yeah. 150 to 200, and so they began to see that this thing has potential, but mm-hmm. that I really needed to give all of my time and all of my energy towards focusing on this one work. And they're right. They're yeah. absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Huh. I'm just kind of curious, how, well, what kind of sustained you along the way? You just knew what you were doing was what God called you to do. Yeah, and I think it helped. Yeah. You know, I was in my 40s, so, you know, I, yeah. I think that was probably helpful. You know, the mm-hmm. older you get, you, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I felt like I could make, I was a lot more mature then if I tried yeah. to do this in my 20s. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I guess truly I felt like God was blessing it and he was, you know, mm-hmm. he was He was encouraging me along the way yeah. and um, just felt this real, uh, felt this real sense of burden on so many of the people here and I, I know that are mm-hmm. were, were friends that, we're not Christians, and this, you know, just gave me a real opportunity to, to reach out to them. And it's been cool just to watch so many of my buddies from high school uh, come to Christ over yeah. the last 10, 15 years. Yeah, it's, um, I guess I'm thinking of the verse. What did Jesus say that the uh, harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few? Is that kind of how you that, felt? That Cartwright is yeah. part of my mission statement. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there, there's four parts to it, and one of them is that, Lord, I want to be a laborer mm-hmm. in the harvest. You know, a fisher of men, however you want to call it. Right. That's that's really kind of what my, what my life to be about. Yeah, huh. that's great. So, what what would you uh, say to somebody in their twenties and thirties who is wanting to step into their calling and make that decision, make that leap? What would you say to encourage them? Yeah. Um, I would say if they're married, make sh- <laughs> their, their spouse needs to be. I mean, if, if their spouse is not mm-hmm. in it, then. I think you need to slow down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would also say, you know, what try to deter, you know, it's one thing to, to want mm-hmm. to be in ministry, and but there's so yeah. many ministries out there, right. so many different. Um, there's mm-hmm. so many so many needs out there, whether right. you know the, the, the inner city, um, mm-hmm. uh, the business world, or uh, focusing on millennials, that that whole mm-hmm. generation. But I always, when people come to asking me about that, I always tell them most important thing you can do is it starts with your heart attitude of um, Lord my life is yours yeah. 
I want to do whatever you want me to do. That mm-hmm. I am your servant. Yeah. The servant does not determine the role that he plays. Right. You, the master, or mm-hmm. you, the king. You know, and so it's got to be almost a, a approach of total surrender. I, my, yeah. One of my favorite um, mm-hmm. parts of the Bible, of her favorite incidents in the Bible, is when Mary finds out from the angel that she's going to be pregnant. And here she's, you know, planning on getting married to Joseph. You know, she had this picture of what life was going to be like. Right. And then God blew up her picture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and she says, you know, how can this be? You know, I've never mm-hmm. been with a man. And she just, mm-hmm. and then I love what she says. And ultimately, she, I don't really get this, but behold, I am the bond servant of the Lord. Wow. Be it done to me according to your will. Yeah. And so yeah, that's, that's kind of got, wow. it has to be. The approach, because I believe that if, if you are committed to follow God's leading and your heart attitude is, I'll do whatever you want me to do, he'll lead you. He really will. Wow. That's good. Yeah. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I want to leave you with three things um, that I took away that I hope you take away as well and even other stuff. But here are three things. Is, um, one, as Richard said, is, is trusting God and what he has to say for you and your life making that decision between out of your relationship with God to pursue your life calling. The other is, is listen to those that God has placed close to you in, in your life, people that trust, that have investment in you, that love you, that care about you. Um, listen to those voices over the other ones of people that who don't know you. And so many times we care what those people who are far out away from us care, but and don't listen to those close. Those people are highly invested in us, listening to those close to us and believe in us. And the third, of course, is your heart attitude. This is the one thing that you really can control, is your heart attitude in any given situation. Um, you can't control how what others think. You can't control the weather. can't control any outside circumstance other than how you respond to it. And so that's what I would encourage and leave you with, is, is your heart toward what God has for you and who He says about you. So I hope you enjoyed that. Um, Please, you're welcome to look us up on iTunes, subscribe. It's The Freeman Theory. Um, you're welcome to go on SoundCloud as well. Uh, I do have an Instagram account with um, that I post these interviews and put quotes. Um, and lastly, I hope you were very much encouraged by this um, to live your life as free people, to not just live it as an idea, but to live it out as an actual reality. And thank you for listening. Goodbye.